A Question of Upbringing by Anthony Pohl For some reason, a glimpse of the lower orders warming themselves at a brazier in the street made me think of the ancient world. These classical projections in turn suggested a Poussin scene where time gives shape to the steps of the dance that had hitherto felt unfamiliar. So where better to start my meandering epic than at the school? There is only one, so I need not be so vulgar as to name it, where these classical illusions first became coate. It was December 1921, and I was returning from the high street when Widmerpool appeared on his daily solitary run. His status was not high so I did not acknowledge him, contenting myself with a dozen pages of snobbish asides that I hoped would be interpreted as witty irony, before arriving back at my rooms. That term, I was messing with Stringham and Templar. Templar had gone to London for the day, so I was greeted by Stringham alone. We reflected with great humour on Widmerpool's paucity of social graces, before our bantering reverie was interrupted by a knock. It was my Uncle Giles. I'm very worried about my share of the family trust, he said, while lighting a cigarette. Quite why I've bothered to recall something quite so inconsequential. I'm none too sure, save that many years later I've come to recognise the value of £180 per year. Though it might have been better for all concerned, if I had also learned the value of having an interior world, or anything approaching a personality. Anyway, the upshot of Uncle Giles's visit was that our housemaster, Le Bas, accused us of smoking in our rooms, and our cards were marked thereafter. Stringham got his own back by accusing Le Bas of being a small-time conman. Heraclitus how we laughed when Le Bas was arrested. I guess you had to have been there. Some months later, Stringham invited me to spend the weekend with his mother and her new husband, a glimer. I wanted you to meet Mater before I go off to see Pater in Kenya, Jenkins, he said languidly. I couldn't possibly have invited Templar, as he's rather non-you. As usual, I had no thoughts of my own on the subject and continued my impression of a parasitic tabula rasa. I did, though, allow myself some very deep observations of aristocratic family life, Amelia, in which I was entirely at home, and did eventually conclude that perhaps we had in some infinitesimal yet somehow important way become estranged from Templar. After Stringham had departed for Kenya, Templar bade me visit him, and my estrangement was temporarily forgotten, while my days were filled with yet more important social nuances that helped to define the way the educated elite comported themselves in the post-war era. The row between Templar's brother-in-law and Sonny Fairbrother, who had had a good war, over starching collars, made an indelible impression. It was also here that I felt the first pangs of passion when Templar's sister Jean said a friendly goodbye to me after ignoring me for days. 
This sign of affection may appear a bauble to some, but to someone of my great sensitivities, not to mention my lack of charisma, this was an important event. The summer before I went up to university, there are only two, my father sent me to France to learn the language. There, to my great astonishment, I met Widmerpool, who was also learning French while training to be a solicitor. As Widmerpool was still of a lower social class, we didn't converse much, other than for me to express amusement at the hostilities that had erupted between the Norwegian and the Swede, who were also staying at the farmhouse, over a game of tennis. Widmerpool proved to be unexpectedly capable in brokering a truce, but I, like you, I suspect, had long since tired of such a dull episode and could scarcely remember why I'd bothered to waste a chapter on such an uneventful time, the highlight of which was to again imagine myself in love with a woman I'd never spoken to. And I was not unduly upset when my time in France came to an end. Much of university life centred around Professor Sillery's Sunday tea parties. It was there that I got to meet the fascinating Mark Members, the budding poet whose work had been published in public school verse, and the rather oikish northerner, Quiggin. You live very close to each other, Sillery said to Quiggin and Members, and Stringham and I silently enjoyed the discomfort that Quiggin had been revealed to be less working class than he maintained, and Members less upper class. Come on you chaps, cried Templar, who had arrived unannounced. Let's go for a drive in my new car and pick up some gals. The proximity of a girl's ankles played profoundly on my heartstrings, but after Templar drove the car off the road I rather concluded that the estrangement between him and Stringham was now final. Later that term, Stringham announced he was disappointed in university life and was going to take up a job in the city that Sillery's influence had procured. For my part, I returned to my chaise long, exhausted by the excitements of the first book. However would I cope with the next eleven?' 